following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be picking up our study of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. We're talking about attitude adjustments. Uh, How is your attitude right now? We started after the first of the year. Uh, A lot of people start off with New Year's resolutions. They make commitments. Some of them they stick with. Some of them they fall short. Some of them all have to do with actually changing your attitude and your outlook and really making that commitment. We're looking at the greatest sermon ever preached, no doubt about it. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 cover that. But this little introduction that we have, the Beatitudes, we're familiar with some of them, but are they just about face value or do they go much deeper and deeper in their meeting? Uh, We've looked at two already. We're on our third now. Uh, Jesus starts off by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the third one he gets into, he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, as I mentioned in our introduction to this study, two of the Beatitudes, the first one and the last one, are all written in present tense. What you do now, what you practice now, there is a blessing that comes to you as you display those attitudes. The one we look at today is the only one that includes something in future tense. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're going to talk about both of those concepts and those aspects. But also along the way, in many of my other sermons, I've talked about context. How important is context when it comes to proper biblical interpretation Hermeneutics is the theological phrase for it. It's the study of Scripture, how to break it down. Uh, I've introduced you into looking for repetition of words when you're reading through a passage. I've told you about the importance of lists, how the the things at the front of the list are much more important the way they're written out. I've also talked to you about context. Hopefully you've caught on to the phrase. Uh, If you take the text out of context, what are you left with? You're left with a a con. (laughs) A lot of people will take something way out of context. They don't look at what's surrounding it. They don't look at the setting. They don't look at the people that it was originally written to. They don't look at the chapter before or after or what the the writer is trying to teach someone. So I I want to look at this beatitude particularly in context as we open up with our reading. So let's all stand for the reading of God's word. You're opened up to Matthew 5. Turn back one chapter, Matthew chapter 4. I want you to see for yourself what Jesus had to go through in order to preach the greatest sermon ever preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 4, well, let's go back to uh, chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 13 is where we're going to start at. Here's the first act of obedience that Jesus had to uh, go through as a step towards this greatest sermon ever preached. As he enters into his three years of earthly ministry, Matthew records it like this in chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John and the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent it, uh, prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? Jesus is humbling himself, putting himself under obedience to God the Father. Uh, but Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. 
Thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, John, allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, here's the key. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Did Jesus need to be baptized for forgiveness of his sins? Absolutely not. He was a spotless lamb, slain before the foundation of the world. But he was baptized to be obedient to what the Lord was calling him to do, to be an example to us. Look at what happens next in chapter 4. Here's his first step of obedience, following through in baptism. His second step of obedience was to endure this temptation from Satan. And I want you to see how he counteracts each and every temptation. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This wasn't an accident. This was something intentional. If you'll notice at the beginning of that verse, he was led up by the Spirit. That's the basis of what we want to talk about today. Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you meek enough to be controlled by God's Holy Spirit? Have you brought yourself under the authority of God the Father in obedience to the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you being led by the Spirit? And tonight when you come back at 6 o'clock in Galatians chapter 5, we'll be talking even more about walking with the Spirit. <laughs> so Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I want you to see closely how he counteracts this temptation. There is nothing that we go through these days that Jesus himself has not gone through already. There is no temptation greater than anything that we've ever endured that Jesus has not already endured. But I want you to see how he counters these temptations Satan comes to him, he says, um, after he was fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written. Where was it written at? It was written in the Bible, the Old Testament. The Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus used. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was being meek and lowly. He was putting himself under the obedience and the authority of God the Father by the Holy Spirit leading him in every step. Jesus was tempted three different times, and every time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He was under the authority of God's word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much. For loving us the way that you do. And we thank you that you give us these examples, Lord. These examples of obedience and following you, being led by the Spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that as we look at this third beatitude, that we will learn how to be meek. That we will learn how to be obedient. That we will learn how to be teachable. But most of all, we will learn how to be under the authority of your word, led by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord God, that you'll speak through me this morning, Lord God. Help me to say the things that you want me to say. Help me to not say the things, Lord, that my flesh wants to say. And help me to equip each and every person here, Lord God, that is listening to the sound of my voice, that they would hear you speaking to them, that they would be doers of the word and not just hearers only, Lord God. 
And I pray, Lord God, if there's anyone here who has not submitted their life to you, I pray that today would be the day that they would give their life to you. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So now we've kind of set the context for the beatitude that we are looking at today. The title of the message is, Have You Been Broken? Are you meek? Are you under the authority of the Holy Spirit? God uses broken things. God puts all of the pieces back together. But the brokenness I'm talking about is a brokenness of your will, your fleshly desires. This morning's sermon and tonight's sermon, they just go hand in hand. I don't think I've ever, I couldn't have planned this myself. Uh, we're going through the book of Galatians. I've skipped several Sundays. I've missed some, and they have just fallen right into place. That's what I love about expository preaching. You may be here today and say, Brother Tracy, you're reading my mail. You're, you're stepping on my toes. Uh, how did you know I was going? Look, that's just the way it works out when you go through sermons in this manner. I don't lay it out. I don't plan it. God has it all orchestrated. When I say I'm going through something expository, I'm going to be going through it step by step, verse by verse. And when you get here, God brought you here to hear that message. So here's the thing about what we looked at. Jesus, as he began his earthly ministry, it wasn't just then that he was submissive. It wasn't just then that he was meek and lowly. From the very beginning of his life, Jesus was submissive to the will of his heavenly father and his earthly father, Joseph. All throughout scripture, all throughout the New Testament, from the time that Jesus was born, we see that he followed his mother and his father that God had given him, uh, had given him while he was here on this earth. But now as, he's, as he steps out into his earthly ministry, the three years that he did his public ministry, what were his first steps? His first steps or to be obedient through baptism, say I'm submitting myself to the Heavenly Father. I'm taking that first step of obedience, and I'm setting the example for other believers who will follow after me as well. And then he was tempted. He used God's word to defeat Satan, and he gave us an example. You, you want to know how to have victory in your life? You want to know how to overcome the enemy? Learn how to use God's word. But even from the times of the Old Testament prophet, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, speaks of Jesus coming lowly and riding on a donkey, talking about the day he entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday when they said, Hosanna to the king. From the very beginning, Jesus was submissive to the will of his father, and even the prophets spoke about him being the obedient, humble servant. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a coat, the foal of a donkey. And he fulfilled that prophecy, not only with his life by being meek and submissive, but the day he came into Jerusalem, he rode on a donkey, and they said, Hosanna to the king. Jesus even proclaimed himself to be meek and lowly. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Jesus says, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So this third beatitude that Jesus mentions, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Why is it so important for us to grasp the concept of meekness? Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Present tense right now. That blessing is for followers of Jesus Christ at this very moment. Then he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. The only beatitude that speaks of a specific inheritance, a specific blessing, and a blessing that will come in future tense. I don't think any of us here would want to inherit the earth, the condition it's in right now, would we? (laughs) It's a mess, isn't it? What Jesus is talking about is the future reign. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And when he comes and he sets up his reign here on this earth, We will come with him, and that is the earth and the inheritance that he is talking about. Other than becoming more like Jesus, it is an imperative for the child of God to be meek and humble, to exhibit self-control, and to fulfill this third beatitude. How is your attitude right now? Is it an attitude of meekness? Is it an attitude of Humility. While there are two other Beatitudes in the present tense, they refer to the right of the kingdom of heaven. The third Beatitude is the only one that speaks of a future inheritance. But also it is the link to one that prevents an attitude that is spoken against through Scripture. What is the attitude that Scripture speaks of repetitively that we should avoid? Pride. This third beatitude is a direct uh, counteraction to the habit of pride. Each and every one of us have pride to some degree. But here Jesus is saying, blessed are the meek, those who are not proud, those who are humble, those who have put themselves under the authority of God the Father. This beatitude speaks against the concept of pride, the attitude of pride, and those with a proud heart by saying those who are meek are blessed and those are the ones who shall inherit the earth. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10 speaks about pride and what what God's view of pride is. It says, but he gives more grace and therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the meek. He says, therefore, submit to God, just like Jesus did when he was baptized. Resist the devil, just like he did in his temptation of the wilderness. So if you want to know how to overcome temptation, if you want to know how to overcome the attacks of Satan on your life, here's your formula right here. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And here it is again in verse 10. 
Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you want to be raised up in the sight of God, you've got to get low. So we've been defining the word blessed and what it means in context. We've given you several different definitions. In this context, when we look at what a blessing is or what a blessed person is, first two blanks on your outline if you're following along in that line. A blessed person is inwardly peaceful, and a blessed person is also spiritually mature. Why would I say those two things? Because a person who is humble, they're not going to be looking for a fight. They're going to be looking to make peace. A person who is meek will have this inward peace that no one else can experience. But a person who has the characteristic of meekness is also spiritually mature because meekness is something that you cannot develop on your own. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Only the Spirit of God living inside of you can develop this characteristic of meekness that Jesus is speaking about here. So point number one, that's where I want to go to, is to be meek is to learn self-control. To be meek is to learn self-control. So you're saying, preacher, does that mean I can't be mad all the time? That means your your anger needs to be pointed in a certain direction. It, it needs to be focused on something specific. To be angry all the time is not to be meek. So here's a question on the floor. Do you have a short fuse? <laughs> Do you have a short fuse? Do you snap in a moment's notice? What are some examples of that? Anybody ever cut you off in traffic? <laughs> I think that causes us all to snap every now and then. I haven't seen too many polite drivers out on the road. Does somebody Has someone ever said something to you that just didn't sit very well and you just automatically blurted something out that you shouldn't have? Do, do you have self-control? Are you able to maintain an even kill? To be meek is to understand that I have to have some sort of self-control in my life as a believer. To be like Jesus is my number one goal. In other words, I'm going to remain cool, calm, and collected. If you want a brief self-examination of whether you are weak or not, you ask yourself this, am I spirit-controlled? Or am I flesh controlled? Does my flesh control my action, my responses, my comments, the way that I treat people? Or do I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me, producing the fruits of the Spirit that help me to maintain a cool, calm, and collected reaction to everything that happens in my life? That's part of what being meek is all about, is knowing that I have that self-control. I know that I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. My flesh has been suppressed. My desires, they have faded away. And now my eyes are set on Jesus. I'm trying to become more and more like him each and every day. Am I spirit-controlled or am I 
flesh control. If you want to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, I'll give you a little bit of a preview about what you'll hear at 6 o'clock tonight when you come back for this evening's worship time. We've been going through this book. Paul's been talking about legalism. He's been talking about the law, how we should not live under the law, but live by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He's been setting the stage for what he's teaching about here. As far as the fruits of the Spirit, he now gets into the part of saying, here's what should be controlling your life. Verse 16, he says specifically, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Flip that around. If you walk in the flesh, you're not going to produce the fruits of the Spirit. But he gives a list of two different things. He gives uh, the works of the flesh. He gives a complete list of that. And then he also gives a complete list of the fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the flesh far outweigh the list of the fruits of the Spirit. He, he summarizes the fruits of the Spirit in just a few short words. But he gives some very specific works of the flesh when he gives that list. Look in verse 19 if you're there in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, condition, uh, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions. Does that sound like someone who is meek and lowly and humble and self-controlled? Absolutely not. Heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, those who practice such things, look at this real close, will not inherit the kingdom of God. What are we talking about in the Beatitudes? Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is an inheritance that goes along with an attitude and someone filled with the Holy Spirit who exhibits the fruits of the spirits that you will not find in any other thing. But here he gives a specific list. He says, here's the works of the flesh. Here's someone who is not meek, who has no self-control, who is not led by the Spirit of God. Here are the characteristics and qualities that they exhibit. And the people who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God because they do not have the Spirit of God living in them. Verse 22, but but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and look at the last one, self-control or meekness, if you want to call it. Some translations have it as meekness. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Friends, I would highly encourage you to read and memorize Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Because if you want to look like Jesus, if you want to become more like Jesus, these are the things that you should be producing in your life if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Before we leave this issue of self-control, we're going to go to John chapter 2. Go to the Gospel of John chapter 2. Was there ever a situation where Jesus modeled self-control? More than one situation. We've already looked at one when he was tempted in the wilderness. 
But John chapter 2, we see a very unique situation taking place. They had turned the temple into a place that looked like a market. They were selling uh, sacrifices that weren't fit to be sacrificed to people who couldn't bring their own sacrifices. Jesus comes in and he takes one look at it and he's not happy with it at all. But he doesn't blow his top. He doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't lose control. Let's look and see what happens beginning in John chapter 2 verse 13. It says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now, Jesus didn't clean house. He didn't automatically get angry. He didn't lose control of the situation. But look what he did prior to cleansing the temple. Verse 15. When he had made a whip of cords. In other words, he backed off. He says, I'm not happy with this situation. This shouldn't be going on. Let me do something about it. Let me think about what needs to be done. And he actually took the time. If you want to see the whole picture unfold, it's almost like he was sitting there weaving and braiding his own whip while he's thinking about what's going on. What's fixing to happen? And instead of losing control, he takes the time to think about the situation. And when he gets his whip made, his mind is set. He knows what he needs to do. He goes to the temple and he cleans house. (laughs) He knocks over the money changers' tables, scatters all the, the sacrifices that they're trying to sell, and he just runs them out completely of the temple. Sounds like a couple of Monopoly games I've been involved in from time to time. But he thought very intently about what he was fixing to do. He thought about the situation. He said, this is something that I need to spring into action over. And every now and then in our life, we'll run across a situation where we automatically want to jump in. And most of the times our first thought is the wrong action to take. But if we'll step back and say, hey, I I know something needs to be done about it, but I want to do it the right way. I want to make sure that I'm doing this in control. I want to make sure that my flesh is not leading me through this situation. Here's the thing that you need to remember about self-control. is that there comes a time when we need to remain cool, calm, and collective. But there also needs to be a time to take action with a Christ-like attitude. There should be some issues in this world that just make our blood completely boil. But we don't go through radical extremes to alleviate the situation. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4, our study that we're going through on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock, that it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. I'm going to tell you one way that you can take advantage of and spring into action and do what you need to do by maintaining self-control. This election coming up, you need to be well-informed. You need to be registered to vote. And when that election day comes up, you need to make sure that you're in that voting booth to practice your rights as an American and also to practice your rights as a Christian and say, I want to do something about this situation, but I'm going to do it in a controlled manner. 
I'm not going to protest. I'm not going to pick it, but I'm going to do what I need to do to help this situation out. And I think that's what Jesus was doing in this situation. He said, let me think about what needs to be done here. I want to do it in a way where they'll get the message clear. Nobody gets hurt. But I also want them to know loud and clear that this is my father's house. My father's house shall be a house of prayer, he said, but you have made it a den of thieves. And his message rang loud and clear on that day, but he did it under self-control. To be meek is to be self-control, is to learn self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit. But also to be meek is to be moldable. What do I mean by that? The word meek in the original Greek language, it explains a way of taming wild animals. But it also explains a way of calming those that are irritated or excited. It means taking a power that is just loose and raging out of control in some way or another, harnessing that power and controlling it and making it something useful. There was a movie out starring Robert Redford back in 1998, I think it was. It was The Horse Whisperer. And that's what he would do. He would take these stallions, these horses, and he would train them. He would try to get that wild spirit out of them. He knew that the power was there. He knew that it was a useful power. And after working with those horses, training them, and breaking them of their strong will and their spirit, they were then able to do something to ride those horses and use them for something productive but it took training it took a breaking of that horse's will and they had to be meek self-controlled and tamed and that's exactly what the word meek actually demonstrates if i got some of our kids here in the uh audience today y'all come down here and see me for just a minute where are them two back there i got three of them back there is olivia here Where's Oliver at? Is he back there or is he up here? Come on up here. Come see me for just a minute. Get y'all involved in this. What's up? How many of you have ever been to the zoo? Raise your hand. All right, just about everybody. Not yet? What about, have you seen a circus on TV before? With wild animals, elephants, giraffes. What's your favorite animal? What's your favorite animal? You don't have a favorite animal? Like a giraffe or an elephant? I do have favorite animals. Oh, okay. It's a fish. A fish? Okay. What's your favorite animal? My favorite animal is a crocodile. A crocodile? Oh, my goodness. You did. You changed your mind. Is a what? Dog. Okay. A oh, baby crocodile. Okay. What's your favorite animal? Dog. Dog. Cheetah. A chicken. Cheetah. Monkey. A monkey. All right. So of of all of these animals that we've talked about, we talked about a dog. Stand up for just a minute. I need y'all to help me here. A dog. Okay, what else? A monkey? So have you ever seen monkeys do tricks? Do you think they learned that on their own? Yes. No, what about doing something uh, 
that they were told to do. He does like that. You think he learned how to do that on his own? You don't think anybody trained him to do that? Oh, okay. Okay. Do you have a dog? Yes. Has that dog ever pottied on the floor? It has. <laughs> Did anybody have to teach him how to do that? Did anybody have to teach him how to do that? It, it just happened, huh? Well, how do you teach them to do it outside instead of inside? Do you have to train them to do that? Oh, okay. So let me ask you this. What are y'all learning in Sunday school right now? Hold on, hold on. What are you learning in Sunday school right now? About the Bible. Okay. About Jesus loves me. Okay. About God. About God loves me. All right. What are you learning in Sunday school right now? About God. About God. What are you learning in Sunday school right now? Hold on just a minute. So do you have a teacher in Sunday school? Yeah. Okay. We learned about um, at Valentine's Day, he loves everyone and he forgets the okay. <laughs> but all of these things about God, you wouldn't learn them on your own. You have to have somebody teach you about them, right? Okay. So there are some times in your life, though, when you have to learn on your own. Once they teach you how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, you go to school every day to learn how to read and do math. So just like these animals that we talked about, we have to teach them how to do certain things if we want to. We have to tame them so that we can live with them. We become their teachers right now in Sunday school. A bunch of wild animals or no? They're not. <laughs> Just like training those animals to do certain things, your Sunday school teacher is teaching you how to live for God. You're going to keep learning about how to live for God? Okay. He died for us. He died for us. That's right. You're learning the right thing. Awesome. All right. Thank you all for helping me. <laughs> Give our kids a hand. So the whole point of that is if, if you are meek, if you have a meek spirit, if you are meek and humble and lowly like Jesus, you're going to have a teachable spirit. You're going to be moldable. You're bringing yourself under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that Jesus said would be the role of the Holy Spirit, he would teach us all things. So in his book that I'm going through right now, Robert Schuller, uh, The Be Happy Attitudes, uh, he gives an acronym for the word meek. If you want to write it down, the M stands for mighty. The E stands for emotionally stable. The other E stands for educable. And the K stands for kind. And that second E is the one that I really want to focus on right now. Do you have a teachable spirit? Are you wanting to learn how to become more like Jesus. The word meek is to tame a wild animal or to calm someone who is irritated or excited and teaching them how to exhibit self-control and how to live their life in a meek, mild manner. Can you say this? Can you say that uh, 
I would rather change my mind and succeed than to do it my own way and fail. If you can say that, then you have a teachable spirit. You are moldable, and you have put yourself under the submission and the lordship of Jesus Christ, and you say, Jesus, I want to be more like you. I can't do it on my own. I need your Holy Spirit to walk with me and guide me and strengthen me every day. The third point I want to make is this. To be meek is to be instantly obedient. Instantly obedient. Galatians 5 that we read just a moment ago. If you are walking in the Spirit, then your mind, your ears, your heart, your soul, your inner being is tuned in to God's direction for your life. And when God says go right, you go right instantly. You don't hesitate. When you go, he says go left, you go left instantly. When he says share the gospel with that person that you see right there, you share the gospel. When he says don't do that, you say, no, nah, I'm not going any further. I'm going to stop right here. That means that the moment the Holy Spirit speaks to you, your heart is tuned in to what God is saying. You are walking in step with the Holy Spirit and you are putting yourself under his submission, guidance, and lordship to be meek like Jesus was. There's a poem in this book that I was telling you about. This poem is not by Robert Schuller. It is by a man not by the name of Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And it expresses instant obedience. And he talks about, you know, how would we like it if God didn't listen to us when we asked him for something versus when God asks us to do something and we don't respond. He says this, he says, the Lord had a job for me, but I had so much to do. I said, you get somebody else or wait till I get through. I don't know how the Lord came out, but he seemed to get along. But I felt kind of sneaking like I knew I had done something wrong. One day I needed the Lord. I needed him right away, but he never answered me at all. And I could hear him say, down in my accusing heart, brother, I've got too much to do. You get somebody else or wait till I get through. Now when the Lord has a job for me, I never try to shirk. I drop whatever I have on hand and I do the good Lord's work. And my affairs can run along or wait till I get through. Nobody else can do the work that God marked out for you. Are you instantly obedient to what the Lord has for you to do? Are you tuned in to the promptings of his Holy Spirit? Or are you trying to find in his word what it is that you need to change in your life? And when you see that, Maybe it's one of those works of the flesh we read in Galatians 5 just a moment ago. Something pierced your heart just then. You said, God, I didn't know that was in the Bible, and I need to change that. And I want to be instantly obedient. Today, Lord, I'm not going to wait another day. That is something 
that I'm going to change in my life. That is a habit that I'm going to drop, and I need your Holy Spirit to help me. I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be lowly. I'm going to be submissive to the promptings of your Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be instantly obedient to what you have to say to me. Write down this verse, Psalms 128.1. It goes along with our blessings and our beatitude. Blessed or happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Can I just say this? Do you know why there's so many unhappy, depressed people in the world today? Because they're living outside of the will of God. They're not obeying his will, his way, and his commands. And that should break our heart. David wrote in the Psalms, he said, Rivers of tears flow from my eyes because men do not obey your word. A person who is led by the Holy Spirit, who is meek, will be instantly obedient. Last point. For the child of God, our inheritance is not temporary, but eternal. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not the nasty here and now, but the blessed by and by. Not what we see in this present world, but the world, the earth that Jesus is talking about is a new heaven and a new earth that will come in the future. It's obvious that we most likely do not want to inherit the earth in the condition that it is in now. So you think future tense when you read this particular beatitude. Turn with me to Psalm 37. This will be the last place we go to this morning. But I want you to see where Jesus quoted this particular beatitude from. Psalm chapter 37. We're going to look at several different places here. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Look at verse 11. This is the direct quote that Jesus gets this beatitude from. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in abundance of peace. Verse 18, The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Look at verse 23 and 24. This is so important right here. The steps of a good man, a good person, a good woman, a good boy, a good child, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall down, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And then closing out this psalm, verses 39 and 40. But the salvation of the Lord, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. In other words, they're meek. They're under submission to him. They're under obedience to him. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they Trust in him. These aren't just random quotes that Jesus has given here. These are direct quotes from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus used. 
And here when he says that the meek shall inherit the earth, he says one of these days, oh, it's going to be so sweet, a new heaven and a new earth. As Jesus sets up his reign, those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ will be with him forever and ever and ever. And so when the Bible speaks of an inheritance, there's two references it's talking about. And right now, there's an inheritance right now. You can presently enjoy and experience the good things of the earth if you are blessed and you have an inheritance from the Lord. But he's also talking about eternally, a new heaven and a new earth as we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Titus 3.7 says that we have been justified by his grace. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we have been justified. Uh, we have a living hope and an inheritance that does not fade away. One commentator put it this way, the meek person is one whose trust is in God rather than himself. A meek person knows that he has needs. A meek person knows I've got some things in my life that I can't do on my own and I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. Have you been broken? Are you meek? Are you humble? Have you put yourself under the submission and the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God? Have you bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to him as meek and as humbly as possible? Thinking back to James 4, 6, it says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the meek. Do you want to be used by God? Do you want to know that your life is being led by the power of the Holy Spirit? Before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he took two specific steps to bring himself under the submission to show that he was meek and lowly and willing to do whatever the Lord asked him to do. What is God asking you to do right now? Perhaps you've never heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you say that I just can't produce those fruits that you talked about in Galatians 5.22 a moment ago. And you're right, you can't do that on your own. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. To be born once is to die twice, but to be born twice is to die once. One of these days, for those who have been born again, their inheritance will be with Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Have you been born again? Does the Spirit of God live inside of you? Have you been made a new creation? The Apostle Paul says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things become new. In other words, I'm no longer controlled by the flesh. 
I have the Holy Spirit of God guiding my every thought, want, need, and desire. I'm producing those fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. And all of the things that I used to do, my old life is now gone. It's been washed away by the blood of Jesus. If you've never made a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I I beg you, don't leave this building until you do. If you've never bowed down the knee in humility and say, God, I'm a sinner. I know my life hasn't been what it should be, and I want that to change. And right now, Lord, as meek and as humbly as I can, I come before you. I submit my life to you, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and make me a new person. If you've never said, Lord, I can't do it on my own, and I need you to take control of my life, let today be that day. Blessed are those who obey his words, who follow his ways, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you so much for what you've spoken to us. And I just pray, Lord God, Lord, if there's any one person here whose life is not committed and sold out, if they've never been born again, if they've never submitted their life to you, I pray that today would be that day that they would give you control of what's going on in their life. And, Lord, if there's anyone here that's struggling in in their walk with you, I pray, Lord, that they would find a renewal, a recommitment, a desire to get their life in order with where you want it to be, Lord. I pray that today, during this invitation, any decision that needs to be made, Lord God, I pray that you would give them a boldness and a strength and ability to make that commitment known. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.